to pay attention to and to hear a message. There are millions of dollars that are spent on just a 30-second advertisement during the Super Bowl because they want you to pay attention to a message, to hear a message, and evidently it's worth it to them or they wouldn't be spending that amount of money. And so we're getting the message and we're hearing the message and we're responding and doing whatever it is that they want us to buy or do. And so whether it's social media ads or, or billboards or commercials or, or entertainment, they're all trying to get you to pay attention to something. As a matter of fact, Netflix feels that they have you so hooked on on their product and, and on what they're trying to get you to pay attention to, that their CEO said that their biggest competitor was sleep. He says that you get a show or a movie you're really dying to watch and you end up staying up late at night, so we actually compete with sleep and we're winning. They found that, that they have us so locked in to their message that it's more important to us than sleep. And so as we are, are bombarded with messages all day long, we have to decipher which messages are worthy of our focus. Which ones are messages that we should pay attention to? Which ones should we stay up for? Which ones should we sacrifice for? And the most important message that we can hear is the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And Satan is going to try to distract you with various messages. He's going to try to discourage you with various messages. You're even going to receive really good messages like that maybe somebody loves you or that you're going to get a raise or, or, or some other sort of good news. But I want you to know today that God has spoken to us the greatest message in Christ. And so the question that I want us to think about today is why would we give our focus and our priority to another message? Because Jesus is better. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I ask you to stand in honor of God's word. If you're able, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2 as we continue our series through this letter to the Hebrews, this series is called A Better Hope, and today we're going to see a better message, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. The Word of God says, For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, then how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we... Hear this word today. The action step for us this morning is this. I want us to present the evidence of your salvation. 
to present the evidence of your salvation. Has this message changed you? Has this message changed your heart? Has this message changed your mind? Has this message changed your life? The action step is that you would present the evidence of your salvation because this is a better message. The first thing that we see in our passage this morning is the urgency of salvation. And that's exactly how chapter 2 begins. It begins with this connector word. Some translations say, therefore. Other translations say, for this reason. And so what is the reason that the author is referring to? Well, he's drawing back into the theme of chapter 1. And the theme of, the overall theme of chapter 1 was this, that God has spoken to us. That's how verse 1 of chapter 1 began. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so he's drawing us back into the fact that God has spoken to us. And he has spoken to us through the final word, which is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the better messenger. And he is bringing us a word that we should listen to. And so now he says, for this reason... We need to pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we'll not drift away. He uses the Greek word here, prosecco, which is translated as pay attention in this verse. And this is a a, a nautical term. it's It's a word that was used to describe how they would pull a ship to port. How they would keep them anchored to be fixed to the seabed and to not be moved. That's what that word means, to pay attention. Now, one of the things that my family really enjoys doing is tubing. Uh, and, and being up here in the mountains, we really love to go in the creeks or the, the rivers and go tubing. And, and one of the, our favorite places to go is a, is a place called Deep Creek. It's on the other side of the Smokies, uh, just outside of Bryson City, North Carolina. Uh, and this is a, a creek that's a little bit deeper, as the name implies, right? And it's a, it's a creek that moves a little bit faster. There's a, little, there's a couple little drops on it, uh, which makes it more than just a lazy river. You know, it's kind of fun while you're on there. And so as we're going down through there with all of our kids, we try to kind of stay together. You know, you'll, you'll hold this arm and this arm, and you try to make a little a, a tube train as you're going down. But, but somebody will get stuck on a rock, and, and this one will fall out of the tube. And so it's, it's, a, it's a challenge as you're doing that. And so whenever you get to a, a place where it becomes uh, the calm and, and shallow, I will put my foot down into the creek bed as an anchor so that I can grab a hold of everyone and get everybody back together, Right? And so what I'm doing is exactly what this, what this verb is talking about, to, to anchor yourself, to, to pay attention all the more. And as he says that, there's this sense of urgency. There's this sense of importance. He says you need to pay attention all the more because God has given us a better messenger in Jesus, and he's given us a better message. And so what he's telling us is that it's now time to be sober-minded. It's now time to be serious, to stop playing games with your faith. So he says, 
why is it that we should stay anchored? Why is it that we should pay attention? Notice why. What does he say there in verse 1? So you'll not drift away. So that I don't lose a kid down the creek. So that you don't drift away. So if today if you find yourself drifting away in your walk with God, if you find yourself in a place where you don't want to be in your life, it could be because you're not paying attention to what you've heard. Because he says the word that God has spoken to us is binding. In verse 2, he says if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment. And so the author says when God spoke to us through angels, that word that they spoke was binding upon us. It was unalterable because it was from God. They were his messengers speaking his word. And so that meant that it was trustworthy and dependable and reliable and securely established. It was so binding, he says, that when we disobeyed it, we were rightly punished. Justly punished. And so... Every transgression against that word from God, every disobedience received a just penalty. And then the author of Hebrews draws the net in. And he, he lays out his argument. He's drawing the net in right here. Because this is the main point of the passage. He says, if the word from angels was unalterable, then what about this word from Christ? What about this word? He's already established that Christ is the final word, that Christ is the better messenger, that Christ is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature, that he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And so if the word of an angel was binding, then certainly the word of Christ is binding upon us. Certainly we need to pay attention all the more to what he has said to us. So the author asks this probing question to us in verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How will we escape if we neglect a word like this? When God has spoken the word of salvation to us, when God has sent to us his very own begotten son, when he has shown us this amazing grace of his gospel, when we're so undeserving, but he shows us mercy and love anyway, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If the word of angels received a just penalty for disobedience, how will we escape the judgment of God when we disobey the word of Christ? How will we escape the fires of hell when we deny the Son of God? How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You see, he says he's given us a good word. That's what the gospel means. It means good news and, and the good news is that we can be forgiven of our sins that although we are sinful men and women who have been disobedient to the very command of God although we have rebelled against our creator that we can be forgiven and this forgiveness comes through us through Christ 
who died on the cross and paid the price for our sins. He was the sinless, perfect sacrifice who stood as a substitute for us. And through faith in Jesus, we can be made clean. We can be reconciled again to God. How can we deny such a good word? Because we're not focused on this better message. There's an urgency here. There's a story that Satan called all of his demons together. And he decided that he was going to send a demon to the earth to try and to um, help men and women to, to, to fall away from, from the Lord. And so he says, who, who would like to go? And one demon steps up and says, I'll go. He says, all right, well, what are you going to tell them? He says, I'm going to tell them that there's not a heaven. And Satan says, no, that's not going to work. He goes, God, God has put eternity in their hearts. They know that, that there is good that will triumph. He goes, that, that's not going to work. And so a second demon comes forward and he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell men and women and boys and girls that there's no hell. And Satan says, no, that's not, that's not going to work. God, is, God has put a conscience in their hearts. They, they know the difference between right and wrong. They know that, that, that evil will be overcome. That's, that's not going to work. And finally, a third demon came forward. And Satan says, what, would you go and, and tell these men and women and boys and girls that would ruin them? And he says, I'm going to tell them that there's no hurry. He says, you go. And it's worked. There's no hurry. Some of you think you have all the time in the world. I'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it after I have some fun for a few years. I'll do it once the kids get older. Then we'll get back. We have all sorts of I'll do it then. I want you to know today that if you've never trusted in Jesus for forgiveness, this is an urgent message for you. Do not delay. Do not harden your heart. Do not put it off. Repent and believe today. How can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation that God has given to us? Today is the day for you and for you to believe. But I want you also to recognize, Christians, and to remember that the author of Hebrews is writing this letter to Christians, right? He's writing this to, to the church. And so these are people who have already believed in the message. They've already received the gospel. So what does this mean? He's asking, what are you doing? He's asking, you say you believe this message, then why aren't you living it? You say you're convinced of it, then live it out. How can we neglect such a great salvation? If the message of an angel is binding and disobedience deserves just punishment, then what do you think is deserved if you don't live out this message from Christ? How will we escape 
It shows the importance and the urgency of this question. This isn't the time to play games. This isn't just an old message that we're sharing. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the difference between heaven and hell for your family and for your friends and for your neighbors and for people who have never heard the name of Jesus who live in places that we've never even heard of. One author says that people are still waiting at the other end of our obedience. This is the urgency of this salvation. But we can't neglect this, people of God. This can't be a message that gets lost in the shuffle with all the other messages in our lives. There's an urgency here. The second thing that we see in our passage this morning is the evidence of salvation. And there may be some who are in here listening this morning. There's some that maybe are watching online that say, oh, this sounds really nice. I really wish it were true. They say, I don't really believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't believe that he died on the cross or rose from the dead. I just don't believe in this gospel that you're talking about. And first, I would say that God has spoken to us through his word, and that there's ample evidence that all of these events that the word records are true. The, the, the resurrection of Christ is given in all four of the gospels. It's mentioned in every other New Testament book, and that's because the cross is the crux of the gospel, that, that God's word is really all that we need to believe. That's how he begins there in verse 3. This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord. He says, first of all, God spoke this to us, so we should believe it. But if you refuse to believe in God's word... The author of Hebrews gives many other sources that support its claims. Notice all the things that he brings to bear as evidence here. In verse 3, this salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. And so in verse 3, he tells us that it was confirmed to us by those who heard. In other words, there's all sorts of witnesses to these events. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses <laughs> in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So uh, all of these New Testament believers, they were witnesses going around telling what they had seen with their eyes, that Jesus was alive, risen from the dead. If you'll turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 3, this is the same argument that Paul makes. 
He says, I, I passed on to you as most important what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Right? So he, he makes the same argument that God told us in his word about these things, first and foremost. But then he says he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. He appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. And so what is, what's Paul saying? He said, <laughs> there's a whole list of people that saw Jesus raised from the dead. In fact, he says, he appeared to over 500 men and women at one time, and most of them are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Why does he say that? He's saying, go ask them. <laughs> They're still alive. Go ask them what happened. You think I'm making this up? I, here's 500 people. We didn't all make it up. Go ask them what they saw. So there were many who saw the risen Lord and told everyone about it. But then back in our passage this morning, God gives other confirmations of the resurrection of Christ. In verse 4, he says, it was confirmed by signs and wonders and by various miracles. And so God confirms his gospel time and again when you read through the book of Acts and the disciples are performing miracles and they're healing people and they're preaching the gospel and the truth and the power of what they are preaching is confirmed. Saul, who was a persecutor of Christians, is changed to Paul, a champion of Christians. You find Gentiles who are believing and are saved. God is confirming his good news all over the place. In verse 4, he continues. He says that it was confirmed to us by gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is, a, this is a huge confirmation that God gives to us. He gives us His Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the, the Holy Spirit falls like fire on the apostles in the upper room, just as Jesus promised that the Comforter would come after He was gone. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on Gentile believers later in Acts, and Samaritan believers who received the Holy Spirit. And that's because the Holy Spirit is the sign of that change that has happened as he comes and indwells the people of God. He is the deposit that God has put in our hearts to continually direct us to God's word and to point us to Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, that's what it tells us. He has put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Of what's to come. It's, it's evidence that the, if the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of you, it's evidence. Not only that, we find non-Christian historians that are confirming the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. Josephus, who was a first century Jewish historian, wrote about Jesus in his work Antiquities. And this is what he said. Now there was about this time... Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was Christ, 
And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. That's strong support from someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. From someone that doesn't follow after him. But I want you to also recognize that there are many other confirmations of this gospel. And many of those are seated next to you right now. They're seated right beside you. There are men and and women and boys and girls whose lives have been radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people that are sitting next to you who who used to be hooked on drugs and who were alcoholics and who were philanderers and who were cheats and liars and abusers and were all sorts of things. But then God worked on their hearts and he convicted them of their sin and they repented and turned to Christ for salvation and they were born again. And the fact that there are Christians and that there is a church is evidence. Because the people that, that the author of Hebrews is writing to, they didn't grow up in Christian homes. There wasn't a such thing as a Christian home back then. This is the start of the church. And so these are people that were practicing Jews and practicing pagans and practicing whatever else. And their lives were changed as they believed in Jesus and they were born again. And they sacrificed everything to follow him. And they focused on his message because all the old things had passed away. And behold, all things had become new. And sitting around you is proof of the power of this gospel message. People who have been born again through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're a multitude of witnesses. We are an army of messengers. We are a force of missionaries empowered by the Spirit of God to invade the darkness and to bring the light of salvation to the very ends of the earth. That's who we are. And so we have to decipher which messages are worthy of our focus. Because Satan is going to try to distract you. He's going to try to discourage you with all sorts of messages. You're going to receive good and and great messages, but God has spoken to us the greatest message in Christ. And so why would we give our priority and our focus to any other message? Because Jesus is better. He's better. And so Christians today, your life is one of the greatest evidences of the gospel if you've been changed. And so the action step for today was that we would present the evidence of our salvation. Has this message changed you? Are you living your life anchored to God's word with urgency? Are you serious in your faith? Because this is the better message. And so perhaps during this time of response, in just a moment, you want to spend some time in prayer here at this altar or there at your seat. Perhaps you find yourself today distracted, discouraged, 
drifting away. And what does the author tell us? We must pay attention all the more to what we've heard. All the more. So maybe you want to spend some time today committing yourself to that. But there are others here this morning who have heard the evidence of this message of salvation. And maybe today for the first time, you're feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit. And you're recognizing that you want to follow after Christ. That you're ready to turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus to forgive you. And that he would be the Lord and King of your life. Maybe you have different reasons why you've never believed before. And perhaps today you've heard some of these evidences that have been convincing for you. The greatest thing is that the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart right now and you know it. He's drawing you to the Lord. So today is the time for you to respond with faith and repentance. And so if that's a decision you need to make today, there's going to be leaders here at the front as we stand and sing in a minute. And I want you to come and say, I need to make that decision today. There might be others that God is calling to become part of our church family. There might be others that have other things that are on their hearts that they want to pray about this morning. This altar is always open. But now is the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, thank you, Lord, for the message of salvation. God, what an incredible message that although we are sinners who are lost and hopeless in our sin, that you loved us, that you sent Christ to save us. Lord, this is the greatest message, the better message, the one that's worthy of our attention and our focus and our priority, the one that we should lose sleep over, the one that we should sacrifice for. So God, I pray for Christians this morning that we would pay attention all the more to the word that you have spoken to us. God, that we would be serious. God, that we would be committed. So Lord, work in our hearts during this time. God, I pray for those who have never trusted in Christ as Savior. Lord, that today, Lord, they would respond in faith to Jesus who loved them, who died for them, who rose for them, and who is extending to them forgiveness and grace today. Lord, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? God, I pray that today 